This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. I'm Ryan Basham, Channel Q's Director of Political Programming. I'm filling in for AJ and Michaela today. I got a chance to talk to a few people about the tragic shooting at Club Q in Colorado Springs this past weekend including State Representative Brianna Titone on the hateful rhetoric put out by people like Congresswoman Lauren Boebert and how school curriculum standards that are inclusive of marginalized groups can help prevent violence, Dr. Daniel Webster, who teaches public health approaches to violence prevention at Johns Hopkins Center for Gun Violence Solutions, about red flag laws and how the El Paso County Sheriff's Department chose not to leverage Colorado's red flag law when it came to the shooter who had been reported for violent threats by his own mother last year. And trans legislation researcher Aaron Reed on the rise in anti-LGBTQ rhetoric and how it leads to violence like the shooting at Club Q. Up first, an interview AJ and I did with drag performer Del Lusional, who hosted that night when the tragedy unfolded in Colorado Springs. Good morning, B. Channel Q. The reason that Channel Q exists to begin with, uh, and the reason that we are the nation's first ever LGBTQ plus talk radio station, uh, is to to have conversations that move hearts and minds and to create spaces for those to share their stories. And, and one person who has so bravely agreed to share their story now is joining us from Colorado Springs. Uh, Delusional is on the line right now. And Delusional, you were in the club, Club Q, um, when this took place the other night, first and foremost, I just want you to know that we love you and that you're safe here and that you share absolutely as little or as much as you feel comfortable sharing. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, uh, yeah, I, I was in the club last night. I was the host of the show. Mm. And so, so, so how do you, how, how are you feeling now? I know that Club Q is a safe space for our community in Colorado Springs and there aren't a lot of them. Uh, and to, can you talk to us a bit about the feeling of having that sort of safe space taken from the community? I have a lot of feelings right now. Um, I've been in a state of disassociation for the last like 48 hours or however long it's been. Um, I got maybe four hours of sleep, so I have, I'm not good on time right now. Um, just a lot of feelings, a lot of devastation, you could jump in between stages of grief, and um, I'm so grateful for who did make it. I'm so grateful that I'm alive. Mm. Um, I'm grateful that the majority of my friends are alive. I'm devastated over the loss of Derek and Daniel. Mm. Uh, it's a lot. It's a lot of feeling everything and nothing at once. If that makes sense, I, I, I can't even imagine. 
Um, so, so we again, we thank you for for even taking the time to have this conversation. Um, and I, I, I'm just curious to know what would you say to our listeners who who see these tragedies take place and they feel for a moment like, oh, that's awful, and then they move about their lives and nothing changes. What do you want our listeners to know right now? You don't know the feeling until it happens. You really don't. This was the kind of thing where I, I never thought this would happen to me in my entire life. I was like, that's horrible, but it's a one in a million. And it's not, it's really not a one in a million. Um, remember who you're voting for and who you're supporting. And I hate that this has to be political, but it does because there's people who just want to brush this under the rug, who don't care. Mm. Um, I would say um, I'm sorry, my brain just stopped working for a second. No, you're okay. Um, love, your, love your queer friends and family. Really do. This isn't a choice, no matter how hard people want it to believe. This isn't a choice. I don't, I, if I could, I I don't want to be like this. I don't I don't like feeling like I have a target on my back now. I'm so terrified that someone's going to take inspiration from this. Um, mm. It's hard to even process like what was happening in the moment. So like just thinking about it now, it's like it didn't happen. And it's hard to accept that it did happen. And again, you don't know what it feels like until it does happen. I... I- my my heart aches for you, and I I just wanted to ask you about your local queer community there, and and how your community is responding to all of this. Do you feel um, that the the wider community there in, in in your city where you live has been supportive of the queer community uh, since this has happened? What's your experience been? The queer community has been extremely supportive. We have all. We've all been grieving. Everyone loves Daniel and Derek. They are what made Club Q such a safe and just a safe space. They made it safe. They always made it a good time, protected us, would kick anyone out if anyone was inappropriate or made anyone uncomfortable. It was, I've never felt safer in a spot, even going to other queer bars, because mainly because that was my home. Uh, can you repeat the question? I'm so sorry. Oh yeah, absolutely. Oh, I was just wondering if, if you do you feel that like the larger, like the city as a whole, the town as a whole, has been supportive of of the queer community since this has happened, and is that any different than the way they treated the queer community in town before? Well, they're acknowledging that we exist now, which is good. I'm very happy that our voices are being heard, and that they're seeing that this happened in their neighborhood, mm. and they're realizing that it's real. Yeah. Um, Listen, delusional. I don't want to keep you any longer. I can't even imagine um, what you're going through right now. And I am, I am so, so, so sorry that this happened to you and your friends and your community. That you don't feel that you have a safe space anymore. It breaks. It breaks my heart. Um, and if I could hug you right now, I would. Um, but I want you, you to know that you are loved, even if it's from afar. Uh, and I hope you feel that love in the times when you need it most. And I hope you can keep keep going, right? 
because I've been in this fight for a lot of years, as has Ryan. And um, I know you're a little bit younger than we are, um, but your, mm-hmm. your generation gives us so much hope. So much hope. So um, thank you for, for bravely taking the time to speak with us today, okay? Thank you. And I would like to say to people who are listening, um, the best way to support is I asking for money is so rough, but helping pay for funeral expenses and hospital bills and therapy for the survivors. Mm. Donate to those funds because yep. they help. They really do. They're going to help so much of us. So many of us lost our jobs the other night. I am so glad you brought that up. Uh, we did speak to um, a member of the GLAD's media team earlier, and they let us know they set up an official fund uh, that people can go to to give money that is going to go to the employees and the victims of of, of this this tragedy, and that is coloradohealingfund.org. Um, give what you can and, and, and then give a little bit more. Thank you so much, Thank Delusional. You. Welcome back. We're talking about the horrific shooting in Colorado uh, – this weekend, and I uh, wanted to talk to Representative Brianna Titone uh, uh, of Colorado. Um, <laughs> Brianna, you are, Representative Titone, you are um, really active on Twitter anyway. We've been connected on Twitter for a long time and following you, but you really lit up the internet with your response to Representative Lauren Boebert, who basically offered thoughts and prayers. And I just want to quote this for, the, for our audience. Thanks for the quote, thoughts and prayers, but that does nothing to offset the damage that you directly did to incite these kinds of attacks on the LGBTQ community. And you went on to say, there's blood on your hands. Um, and I felt like that really resonated with me. And, you know, I'm already fired up and I, I feel like you are too. Can you talk a little bit about what the response has been in Colorado and in general from, you know, various corners of the political spectrum and, and what the experience has been like for you? Uh, you know, thanks for the question, because this is um, something that I think a lot of people have been wanting to say. And, and I think, you know, even after I said it on Twitter, uh, several other you know prominent people kind of repeated that same refrain uh, that she's been spouting off a lot of this stuff for a long time and encouraging a lot of these hate groups and, uh, you know, just inciting all this this rhetoric that's been happening. Uh, people are tired of it. And, you know, when people are in power in, in positions like hers, who have a microphone, who go down to the to the House floor and say things like these and say these things on her Twitter page with millions of people looking at that, uh, that's damaging. And it creates a, an air of of bullying and violence and just unease in the community because we feel like we're under attack from the people who are supposed to be representing us. And that's something that nobody wants to see. And, you know, we need to be calling these people out when they say these kinds of things. Do you think she'll ever get it, though? Because I feel like she's been called out by a lot of people at this point. And I mean, she owns a bar called Shooter's Grill. So I've got to imagine there's only so much she's willing to hear. Do you think she's ever going to get it or is she going to keep being hateful? Well, it's interesting that, that you say that because, you know, this election was razor thin uh close for her win and you know that should be a wake-up call for her because the people who she represented for the first two years uh she represents most the same people she had before and her district got more conservative and her lead went to a razor thin margin so that should tell her and should give her an indication that this is not the kind of thing that we want to see coming from our representatives this is not the kind of behavior that we expect our representatives to be doing on behalf of us. 
And I think the voters have really made a big statement. And I think that in two years, uh, she's not going to be the representative from Congressional District 3. Uh, because people are going to to really say like ah we 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 have to do better next time and we need to get rid of her because she's embarrassing us. You're not really a representative if you're only representative the ex- representing the extreme ideas in your district. You know this makes me think about. I know that you've been really engaged in the. Uh, I guess we can say fight with the Colorado uh, Board of Education regarding more inclusive curriculum and the social studies uh, uh, requirements for the state. Can you talk a little bit about the importance of having inclusive curriculum at the public school level in preventing things like this? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I'm a a kid of the 90s. And when I went to school, you know, we had a history book that uh, was probably a lot like the history books that people remember. Um, they really emphasize the, the Europeans and the, the accomplishments that uh, the settlers did and, and very little on the other folks who existed here before we did or the accomplishments of a lot of other uh, different minority groups that exist uh, concurrently with, with that history. And when you don't see that in your history books, it's easy to think, that none of the people who look like me have had any kind of contribution to the country we see today. And it's easy for someone who is a young person to get this idea in their head that it's the white people and, and the, uh, the cisgender people uh, and, and the people who are in power writing the books, that they're the ones that have been setting everything up and making this country the way it was. But the facts are that there's been a lot of accomplishments from a lot of different minority groups. And we need to teach those kids that are learning today who their ancestors were and who the people were that were like them that had these impacts. I mean, if I had known about the Stonewall riots a long time ago, yeah, maybe my life would have been different. And maybe I would have been able to, to be myself a little bit sooner than I had. But I didn't know anything about this stuff. And I learned about it a lot later in life. Yeah, I can and relate to that. to learn about it, it's yeah, because you know, important. it is important. And I, I think about that there are, we are record high numbers in our society of people who are Holocaust deniers, which I think leads to people thinking Jews are not that special. Which leads to the people who are most likely to be violent to think, oh well, that's a that's a target worth having. I think um, I really appreciate that you are in this fight because I think about things like that that I learned in school. I did learn about the Trail of Tears. I did learn about the Holocaust. I don't think those things would be allowed in my home state to be taught today. Um, and and I think that's just it, you know, it's a cycle that perpetuates and an ignorant society becomes a more violent one. Um, really appreciate you joining us. And one, one question I want to ask you before you go, um, is there anything you want to tell folks who are not in Colorado about um, how uh, they can contribute to the healing? Yeah, well, that's a great question. And, you know, we have um, the Colorado Healing Fund is the uh, the fund that people are donating to for the victims. Uh, and if you want to look at Colorado Public Radio, they have a good resource uh, for different ways that you can support organizations here in Colorado who are uh, local to Colorado Springs and the Front Range, because there are a lot of people who are afraid and, and this is uh, impacting their mental health and any kind of support that we can give to our community members any way that we can is going to help us all get through this. 
and uh, come out the other side stronger and more resilient. So uh, those would be the resources I would point to. I really appreciate that. Representative, State Representative Brianna Titone, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, great to have you on our air. I hope we can have you back many times real soon and hopefully under better circumstances. Uh, thank you so much for joining yeah. us. Thank you so much for having me on. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Good morning, Beat. Channel Q. We're talking about the shooting in Colorado Springs and something that's come up uh, in a lot of news reports are red flag laws. Um, and there's a lot to, to get into here with the details. So we're talking to uh, Dr. Daniel Weber, a professor who teaches public health approaches to violence prevention. And we've got a lot of questions for you. So thank you so much for joining us. Good to be with you. Can you, um, first, can you just give us a brief overview of what red flag laws are? I feel like a lot of people, including myself, have a lot of questions about that. Sure. Um, these are laws that are designed to uh, respond to sort of immediate crises uh, to remove firearms from individuals who are threatening to harm themselves or others. Uh, they uh, they work through the uh, a civil court process. They're they're not um, you know crimes have not been committed to law enforcement can't come in and, and arrest people for threatening to do something that they haven't done. They're a practical tool to, um, to again, sort of address the immediate risk in the situation and to temporarily remove firearms. And there's a, there's a careful um, court process to review the available evidence, judges rule on them. Actually, I think probably the um, many people will be more familiar with um, domestic violence restraining orders uh, that work in a very similar way in which uh, people petition the court for some type of relief to address safety, immediate safety risk. And this is exactly what these laws were modeled on. That's so interesting. I, I, I feel like, you know, when there isn't a tragedy, people talk about due process and people not being punished in a way that they don't deserve. But when tragedies happen, especially in this room in particular, it seems like sometimes red flag laws fail because it seems like this attacker, you know, people think he should have been flagged and he wasn't. Can you talk about why and, and is this a fault of red flag laws? Should they be improved? That's a great question. Um, typically, the the laws themselves are certainly adequate to do the job. But you have recognized researchers have recognized and advocates as well. Is it's a type of law that is very dependent on upon effective use and uh, and enforcement of them. In the case in Colorado Springs, you had a sheriff's department that um, politically opposed uh, the passage of the law could, and, and vowed that they would not uh, use it themselves to uh, disarm people. Um, and so the data show that that's quite true. They incredibly rarely use the law 
other studies that of these laws across the country for states that have them, we find very much the opposite, that about 90% of the cases uh, are initiated by law enforcement. A lot of the civilians don't really understand all the legal systems, but they know how to call for help. They know how to call 911. And when law enforcement see what's going on in places that it actually, you know, are knowledgeable and, and committed to using the law, they know that they can go immediately to a court, to a judge and say, we need to get guns out of this situation right now to avoid loss of life. And um, the sheriff's department in El Paso County in Colorado chose for political reasons, not to do that. Oh, wow. So, so okay, so my question, I guess, is both for this specifically and generally overall. Specifically here, what could have been done perhaps that wasn't, but in general also, what can we do, what more needs to be done to prevent shootings like this from happening? Yes, um, well, I, I think, again, I think the law in place is adequate to address the the risk. What's critically important is for law enforcement to commit themselves to use it uh, because it, it can prevent incredible tragedies. Um, so this is really something that um, my center, the Johns Hopkins Center for Gun Violence Solutions, is very much committed to doing. Um, it's worth noting that the uh, legislation passed this summer and signed into law by President Biden sets out specific funding mechanisms for training and technical assistance to law enforcement so they know how to use these laws. They understand how they work, the situations in which you can use them. Um, So this is, um, again, I'll just underscore, uh, in Colorado, uh, the laws were adequate to address this with an individual who had uh, threatened to use a bomb, uh, you know, and they just in didn't his use mother's it. house, uh, and uh, and was initially charged with multiple felonies. Uh, we don't really understand why those felony charges uh. were dropped, but nevertheless, uh, the deputies, <laughs> because they, they responded to the situation, they knew of the risk um, that was going on with this individual. Wow. Um, that's that's so, stunning. That's yeah. stunning. I. Um, so just real quick, I, I, I know you study this a lot. Is there anything else that we should know we, that we should know as citizens we should be advocating for in terms of other things that might help prevent gun violence? Sure. Um, thanks for asking that. Um, well, the policy that our center, we've done a lot of studies on a lot of different types of policies to address gun violence. The one policy we found that's effective in addressing all forms of gun violence, community violence, suicides, um, and fatal mass shootings is licensing requirements for those who purchase firearms. Um, This is where you'd have to go to law enforcement agency to apply, um, you know, be fingerprinted and vetted. Sometimes there's safety training requirements. Well, uh, now nine states and um, Oregon is poised to become an additional state with this licensing after their um, ballot initiative this um, past election to have these laws. And we find that they're uh, remarkably effective in reducing all forms of gun violence. So if you want to think about one policy that uh, addresses um 
you know, all the forms of gun violence that we struggle with, that is the single one that I think is most effective. I I just feel like this tragedy is happening right now. And in a week or two, the people who oppose uh, using red flag laws, instituting a permitting system are just going to go right back to those positions. And it makes me feel like nothing will ever change. But I I guess the long arc of history hopefully bends in the right direction. Um, Dr. Daniel Webster, thank you so much for joining this. This is a really valuable information, and, and I hope we can have you back sometime soon. That would be great. Thanks. Again, that was Dr. Daniel Webster from the Johns Hopkins Center for Gun Violence Solutions. Here to talk about the rise in anti-LGBTQ rhetoric and how it leads to violence like the shooting at Club Q is trans legislation researcher Aaron Reed. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, really great to have you because I feel like there's a lot here that people miss. So I'd like to start with the cold, hard facts. What do we know for sure about the link between anti-LGBTQ rhetoric and legislation and events like this? We know that there have been many pieces of anti-trans legislation around the country, and we know that in the hearings for these events, we've had representatives and legislators call transgender people an infection. We've had accounts blast these laws and promote these laws while also promoting violence and hate against children's hospitals. We know that there have been over 300 pieces of legislation, depending on the source that you use, targeting transgender and LGBTQ individuals in general, calling us groomers and and trying to keep kids away from us. And so, you know, there's this climate of hate that's been spreading in the United States that make these kinds of events more likely. I I feel like the connection is obvious, but it seems like it's hard to get some folks to believe that the link between rhetoric and violence is real. Why do you think that is? and, And why are people refusing to accept this reality? What are they telling themselves? I think people don't understand the amount of animosity that the leaders in the hate movement against LGBTQ people and trans people in particular can spin up. You know, I, I earlier this year, one of the major accounts, Lives of TikTok, for instance, targeted this small town in Wisconsin, Keele, Wisconsin, because officials were investigating the abuse of a young transgender girl there. And immediately after, the town was beset by bomb threats. In her comments, there were several people advocating just that. And so people don't realize that there are large hate groups that depend on the kind of rhetoric that these people are spreading in order to target LGBTQ people. Yeah, there are large hate groups, but also it only takes one or two people to commit an act of violence where people die, where people get hurt. It doesn't have to be. There are large groups, but not every single one of them has to take action. If only a few do, that's devastating. So what do we, you know, we talk a lot about counteracting and overcoming this rhetoric, but it it feels like an impossible hill to climb. What would it take to just break even? I think that our online spaces need to have better moderation and better protection against hate speech. You know, just recently we saw Twitter, as after it was purchased by Elon Musk, allow in all of the anti-LGBTQ accounts that were banned, all of the ones that were spreading hate. And it, it is not a coincidence that within that same week, we see a rise in anti-LGBTQ violence, including the Club Q shooting. So I think as I listen to you say this, that it's easy to understand in the macro this is a problem, but in the micro to take action to do something about it. So what are some concrete steps that are, are manageable for everyday people to do something about this? 
I think for everyday people, the most important thing to do is to not play in to the escalation and to not play into the rising rhetoric around LGBTQ people and especially LGBTQ youth in particular. You know, people, LGBTQ people and transgender people, we we just want to live. We just want to love. We just want to exist and have our allies support us. And the fear that gets spread around us that that isn't just popularized by large hate accounts like Matt Walsh or Lives of TikTok, but also both sides kinds of journalistic articles like we saw in the New York Times and Reuters. Um, we need people to to respect us and to just understand that we're just trying to live and to be good allies and to include LGBTQ people in your daily lives. Can you talk a little bit more about that both sides piece? Because I think we don't talk about that enough. What 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 is can you tell us a little bit more about what it means to be telling both sides when there aren't two good sides and what language we could use instead of that? Yeah, absolutely. So one of the things that's been happening in the wake of all of the LGBTQ hate in this country has been these articles and these news sources that try to tell, quote unquote, both sides of of the LGBTQ and the transgender story. And in particular, a lot of times they focus on transgender kids and the rhetoric that gets spawned from the demonization around trans kids and around exposing kids to LGBTQ people um, is partly responsible for for this increased violence and hate that we're seeing. And and so I don't think that both sides is a good term for what's going on in some media outlets. I think that this is giving credit, giving credulity to this debate that one side that believes that we should not exist as people has value. And I don't think that that has value in our society. If you could say one thing to the legislators pursuing this kind of legislation and saying these things on TV, what would you say to them? We just want to live, you know, I think that especially kids, like the parents of trans kids love them and are doing the best that they can to take care of them and inserting government officials and inserting hate groups into the conversation, into these committee hearings where we hear just terrible things said only increases the atmosphere of fear around our, around our community. And like, I just really hope that these people that are introducing these pieces of legislation can understand the toll that they place on us, not just the physical violence that gets committed on us, but the lack of sleep, the anxiety, the depression, you know, my community has been targeted, not just by violent actors coming into a nightclub, but also by political violence that mm. threatens our right to exist. This has been a really valuable conversation. I wish we could talk more, but we'll have you back soon. Legislative researcher Aaron Reed, thank you for joining us. Anytime. Thank you so much. I'm Ryan Basham. Thanks for joining me today. Wishing you all the best during these trying times and sending you some love on this holiday season. For more from Channel Q, head on over to wearechannelq.com. Good morning, B. Channel Q. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. 
Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. (sighs) Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply.